0: This is the word of the Lord. I hope you have a Bible opened in front of you, or an iPad, or a phone, or something like that, all of the things that we use to look to the scriptures. Mark chapter ten. We're going to dive right into it this week, uh, beginning at looking at verses uh, thirteen and fourteen. So Mark ten. Let's get into it, verses thirteen and fourteen. Again, these couple verses say people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So a few comments on these, these opening couple verses. It's interesting that we are not told who it is that is bringing these children to Jesus. It doesn't say who they are. Now, common sense, implication, we would think it's, it's who? The, the parents, right? So we think it's the parents, and it may be the parents, But for whatever reason, Mark has chosen not to tell us exactly who that is. He uses a masculine pronoun, uh, them. You can't see that it's masculine in, in English, but it's a masculine pronoun. So we're not referring here to just mothers. So whoever's bringing them, it's not just mothers. It's either parents or it might possibly be older children that are bringing younger children, like maybe teenagers or Older children bringing younger children to Jesus, not for healing, most of what we've seen in Mark's gospel up to this point, but bringing children to Jesus to be blessed. So we've got either parents or older children bringing children to Jesus to touch and to bless. We know that this is a blessing from the last verse, from verse 16. Now, We shouldn't be surprised, if you've been here, if you've been studying the Gospel of Mark, that the disciples are not yet getting the things that Jesus has been teaching them. He's already spoken to them about the importance of children. But the disciples are rebuking whoever it is, the parents or the older children, from bringing children to Jesus. They they are not viewing this as something that is appropriate. They have missed the message that Jesus has already communicated about the importance, the importance of people in society that are put aside or thought little of or thought lowly of. Uh, that was the case in the first century, as we looked a few weeks ago, uh, about children. They were the least important members of ancient society. A child had no power or status and was completely dependent uh, they, they were insignificant in ancient culture. This is very different than in our culture. Again, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, where families will orient their whole lives sometimes around their children. I saw a little documentary on TV some time ago. There was a young man. I can't pronounce his last name. You, so you soccer fans will probably know who he is. He's like one of the greatest soccer players to come out of America. And so... In Europe, the great soccer players, they begin their training very, very young. And so this family made a decision to move their entire family to Germany. I think it was Germany, maybe Spain. I don't remember what country it was. One of those, one of those places over there. Um, all around their child. So we have this huge, you know, their whole family's life and focus and everything was, was, was around their child. Now, that's kind of an extreme example, but I'm just bringing that up to say, the way things were in the first century and the way things are today are so very different. So as we read this text, we have to understand, again, these children were thought to, to have no real value until you know, they're old enough to work and contribute and so on. And, and otherwise, they, they have no value. So the disciples are rebuking whoever's bringing these children to Jesus. Look at verse 14. When, when Jesus sees this, he's indignant He he sees this is an injustice. This is not the way things should be. Mark's the only one that describes this this righteous anger, this indignancy that Jesus has toward the disciples for rebuking whoever it is that's bringing the children to Jesus. And so he says to them, Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. This is a strong statement in In the the church circles, if you will, in the religious circles of Jesus' day, children were, were not considered to be able to keep the law. They were not considered part of the community of faith in many ways. And they were to just kind of be pushed aside until they got up to the age of accountability or up to a certain age. And Jesus is turning that completely upside down. And saying, don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Implication, you religious leaders, you even disciples, may not have the kingdom of God. They do. These children do. Now we know because Jesus takes these children in his arms, and we know from previous sections of Mark's gospel, if you want to look there with me in chapter 9 and verse 42, there, Jesus says, if anyone causes one of, the, one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, the, the key part there is who believe in me. So these children are young children who believe in Jesus, I want to suggest, in light of these previous paragraphs. This is what we're dealing with, young children who believe in Jesus, and Jesus is saying they are inheriting the kingdom, and you likely are not inheriting the kingdom by the way that you're acting, disciples, and by extension, Pharisees, Sadducees, and so on. So one of the questions that we want to, that I want to ask and answer, and we've got three of them in today's sermon, is uh, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? And so the short answer to that question is the kingdom of God refers to God's reign. If you just want a simple answer, it's, it's the place where God reigns. And he can reign in my life, He can reign in your life. He can reign in your heart. But it's a little more complicated than that. So moving on here, some passages in the New Testament refer to God's kingdom as the realm into which we may now enter to experience the blessings of his reign. So the kingdom of God, as a pastor, I've shared this with you before. I'll I'll share it again. You know, One of the blessings of being a pastor is visiting uh, people who are near the end of life, they're often suffering, their bodies are failing. And I have the privilege of seeing many of these followers of Jesus near the end of life, just, just full of joy and, and smiles on their faces. You know, I'm, I like going to these ICUs or going to different places and I'm like kind of all like freaked out and nervous and what am I going to find? And I, and I find a believer where the kingdom of God is reigning in his or her heart or life. It's now, it's there. So there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is is here and now, but the reality is we all know that the kingdom has not yet fully come. We live in a broken world. So the kingdom of God, other passages in the New Testament refer to a future realm, which will come only when the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, into which we shall then enter and experience the fullness of his reign. Thus the kingdom of God means three different things in different verses. So the kingdom of God is both present, it's already here, when God's grace is in us and we're receiving it and we're yielded to his will, we are, we are living in the kingdom of God and we have glimpses of the community of the kingdom of God in his church when we are loving each other in the way that we should. But we, uh, we know we live in a broken world. I mean, is it, just, it is just discouraging, isn't it, to, to the news, what's been going on in England and attacks. And, and we live in a broken world. And so the kingdom is also future. It is yet to come. And there's going to come a time where that that brokenness is going to be gone. Evil is going to be obliterated. Suffering is gone. And so the kingdom is both already and not yet. So we have to understand what the kingdom of God is as we are looking at this passage. Back to today's passage. We we see here Jesus saying again that the little children, that they... uh, The kingdom of God belongs to them. This is a radical thing. So the implication here is you are following the wrong directions to get to the kingdom. Disciples, and also in other passages, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, the people who know the Bible, the people who have been spending time with Jesus, do not have a right understanding of what it takes to get to the kingdom, to inherit the kingdom. So we often are following wrong directions and that's the situation here i don't know about you but um if you how many of you use your cell phones or your car computer or your gps for directions how many how many of you like lots of us okay so those of you that have never entered that realm you're not going to get this but those of us that do probably you've had the same experience i've had where you're trying to go to location a and you type that thing in, or you click on that thing, or you speak that word or whatever, and then your card like, tells you, or your phone tells you how to get there. And you're just happily driving, and then all of a sudden you get to your destination, and it is not where you were trying to go. Have you had this experience? So a few, one of the more, more I unfortunately could, could spend the rest of the sermon giving you illustrations of how this has been in our lives, but I'll just give you one of them. We're coming back from Southern California we are hungry. We've been driving from grandma, grandpa's house. We are wanting to get home, but it's like, we want to wait till we get to Sacramento to eat. Cause you feel like, you know, you're like almost there. We can make it to Sacramento, but this particular trip, we could not make it to Sacramento. And so we're in Lathrop. Is that how you say that? Lathrop, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. So we're, we're like near Lathrop. And so someone, I'm not sure who, uh, punches in some navigator in our car. I think I was driving, so I'm not sure who it was. But somebody punches in In-N-Out Burger. So wow, there's one right near us. Okay, like two miles away, we like get off, take a ride on the access road, and we come back to this uh, In-N-Out Burger that is the largest In-N-Out Burger you've ever seen. It's like hundreds of thousands of square feet. It's like a distribution center for In-N-Out Burger there are no burgers there or but there's like if you want to i don't know like apply for a job or something this is where you could go and we're like standing out there we see the sign we see the palm trees we see the colors but we don't get to eat so this is kind of what Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples that you're following the wrong directions to get to the kingdom. And one of the directions that they think that we need to follow to get to the kingdom is to obey the law. One commentator writes this, says, since little children were not considered old enough to understand or obey the law, Jesus also implies that entry into the kingdom depends not on a righteousness that comes from obeying the law. These kids, they can't, they can't do Torah. They can't follow it. So, don't let them come. Let's rebuke whoever is bringing them to Jesus because they can't, even, they can't even follow the directions to get to the kingdom. Jesus is indignant at this attitude. So, we know that the way to the kingdom, what are some of the wrong directions to finding the kingdom? Obedience to the law. Okay, so I could preach a whole other sermon about the importance of obedience. Because we love God, because we know Him, we obey His word. But the message in this passage is that this is not the way to get to the kingdom. It is not as though God has got a line here, and as you live your life and obey His word, obey the law, and you obey it enough, and you obey it enough, and then finally, ding, 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 you reach the point, and you're in the kingdom. This is kind of how they're operating, following the wrong directions. Or we might do it another way. There's a, there's a line of disqualification. You know, none of us would write this out as what we believe, but some of us might think well, there, there's a line of disqualification. Subconsciously or in our hearts, we're thinking there's a line of disqualification. And, you know, when I was young, I, I sinned like this, and I've sinned like this, and then I sinned this way, and oh my gosh, and then I've, I did this. And, and, you know, I think I might have reached that point where now, where now I'm disqualified. Because, man, I have blown it over and over and over on this one sin, or maybe I haven't blown it on over and over, but this one sin was so huge and I just keep thinking about it and I think I'm disqualified. Jesus is saying that that is the wrong kind of thinking, that is the wrong kind of directions, and so you disciples need to be looking at these little children who believe if you want to enter my kingdom. So obeying the law is one of the wrong directions. Another set of wrong directions to enter the kingdom is excluding the non-religious, excluding those who aren't at church on time with their Bibles, with their Torah, excluding those who are tax collectors or sinners. We've seen this in Mark's gospel. Why does your rabbi eat with these kinds of people? He eats with them because they are coming to believe in him and they are inheriting the kingdom. But in Mark's gospel, people are following the wrong instructions and thinking we need to exclude kind of nasty people or people that aren't like us from the kingdom. They're, they're, not, they're not part of the group. It's, um, it's like uh, us four, no more bolt the door kind of thing. We're, 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 it's just us. Get them out of here. People that, have, that struggle with same-sex attraction? Get them out of here. We, 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 we don't want them in here. People that are illegal immigrants? We, we, we're not probably going to have them at our table. Why would you eat with them, Rabbi? These are the wrong directions for inheriting the kingdom, and they are the kind of directions that the religious people are following in Jesus' day. He is giving them a very powerful and shocking picture of what it looks like. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But one more uh, wrong direction here. So another wrong direction that we sometimes have is the, the way to get the kingdom is just Bible knowledge. We, I think, in churches that emphasize solid Bible teaching, which I want to be one of those, I mean, I want, you know, whoever's preaching here that it's like this, this is what's coming. It's not Mike or some other guy, but the Word of God is coming forth. So we want to be a strong Bible-teaching church, but we can sometimes implicitly teach that the way to inherit the kingdom, what Jesus is all about, is you getting this massive amount of Bible knowledge. And this is how you get in. My boys and I just started reading this a book together. This man, James K. A. Smith, writes this. He says, to recognize the limits of knowledge is not to embrace ignorance. Knowledge has limits, he's arguing, for the follower of Christ. For some of us, if we're early in our faith, that knowledge could be really important, certain things. But for most of us, we understand the gospel, we understand who God is, and there are limits to how far knowledge can, can move us. So we need to change our hearts and what we love more often than not. Then we need more Bible knowledge. We need to apply the Bible knowledge that we already have about loving God and loving our neighbors. Uh, John Newton, author of Amazing Grace, just an amazing life this guy lived. He wrote this, he said, I set no value upon any doctrinal truth further than it has a tendency to promote practical holiness. He's saying here, knowledge is only helpful to when it changes me, when it changes you, when it changes the follower of Christ. This is what he means by practical holiness. Knowledge for knowledge's sake, it just gives us big heads. We don't want and we shouldn't have big heads, we want big hearts we want hearts that love people especially whatever the equivalent the equivalent uh, what am i trying to say people like the tax collectors and and the sinners and the prostitutes of Jesus day the people that were outcast that you wouldn't want to show up in church on sunday morning jesus is undoing that and saying this is who the gospel is for it's for everyone but it is especially for those who are who are desperate and needy and outcast and 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 just feeling miserable about themselves. The gospel is especially for them, for the poor. So these are all wrong directions to find the kingdom. So what is the only way uh, to inherit the kingdom? Let's come back to our text here. Just a couple more verses, short sermon. We're aiming for a shorter service today as well. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. So here Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth, the King James Version, verily, verily, I say unto you. The Greek New Testament says, amen, lego, humine. Literally, amen, I say to you all. This is like the main point. This is the main thing in this unit of Scripture, this verse right here. Listen up, this is important. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is shocking stuff, what Jesus is saying. He's saying this to a culture that doesn't believe that children can do or obey Torah. And Jesus is saying, if you don't receive the kingdom, like one of these children, I'm picturing a five-year-old-ish, someone that he can uh, take in his arms. According to verse 16, let's just look at verse 16. He took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. The key to inheriting the kingdom is that you have faith like this five-year-old who believes in me and wants to be blessed by me and maybe, and I'd say maybe even more likely, is being brought by his older brothers and sisters to be blessed by me. And so he's rebuking the disciples for this and saying, you can't receive the kingdom unless you are like this little child. This is a shocking statement. It's not good works accumulation. It's not avoiding certain sins that's going to get you into the kingdom. So at this point, hopefully your minds have already gone here, but at this point, and as we read this paragraph, what we should be thinking about is what is it about this child's faith that I need to have? What is the point of comparison? What is it? This is, this is what the reader of Mark's gospel should be thinking at this point. So I want to answer that in, in just a moment, but I'm going to answer it more broadly from the, from, the, from the whole New Testament here. What is the only, Oh, before that, this is back to this little phrase. of uh, Truly, truly, I say unto you, uh, this, this main verse, one commentator writes this, making a child's behavior the model for adult behavior on pain of non-entrance into God's kingdom, needs the personal authority of Jesus himself to back it up. So this is why Jesus says this statement. He does this a lot of times when he's trying to drive home his main point. He says, "Verily, verily, I say unto you. Or he says, uh, amen, lego, who mean? Listen up. This, th- th- this is serious. And so he is saying this, what I'm about to say right now, has to do with you perhaps not getting into the kingdom of God. So, how does one uh, do this? What is the only way to inherit the kingdom of God? Now, first from the whole New Testament, and then we'll come back to our passage here, and and we're just about done, just a, a few more minutes. The only way to inherit the kingdom is through God's unconditional adoption of you and me as his children. The New Testament uses this imagery and this language Those of you that have been near adoption, or maybe some of you are adopted, or maybe you have adopted someone, you have just this incredible thing, if you've seen the beauty of this, someone that is far off, someone who perhaps is, is not able, for whatever reason, to be cared for by their biological parents, and they, through nothing that that child has done on their own, no merit, no qualifications, that child gets brought into this other family and is just loved on as though he or she is their own child. He is their own child. This is, this is the language that the New Testament uses to describe how you and I inherit the kingdom. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5 says he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will. It is just this beautiful mercy and grace of God that brings us into his family. Again, I'm stepping outside of this particular passage now and preaching a gospel or Christ-centered message, a New Testament message at this, at this very moment. I've quoted Packer before in his classic book, Knowing God. He writes, where I asked to focus the New Testament message in three words, my proposal would be adoption through propitiation. And I do not expect ever to meet a richer or more pregnant summary of the gospel than that. We know what adoption is. Propitiation is kind of a fancy word that we don't use a whole lot anymore. But it it has this idea. It's already been alluded to when Robert was doing confession of, of atonement. It has this idea of God loving us so much that Jesus propitiates or absorbs God's wrath that should have gone to me and should have gone to you because of our sins. But instead, Jesus took this on, and now we have been adopted into his family. So this is what the New Testament teaches about how we inherit the kingdom. But this particular passage, back to this particular passage, that's not what this particular passage is saying. That's what the whole New Testament is saying. But what this particular passage is saying is that it's through childlike faith. It is, is not through knowledge or sophistication. It is through childlike faith. And the best explanation I could come up with this or find of this, it wasn't my own, someone else's, is, is this guy named a Rawlinson. He writes this. He says, The point of comparison is not so much the innocence and humility of children, for children are not invariably either innocent or humble. Don't you like, love how scholars speak? <laughs> I mean, parents, like, come on children are neither innocent or humble. Yeah, we could preach another sermon on that part right there, but that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not the point of comparison. It is rather the fact that children are unselfconscious, receptive, and content to be dependent on others' care and bounty. It is in such a spirit that the kingdom must be received it is a gift of God and not an achievement on the part of man. It must be simply accepted, accepted like a five-year-old, inasmuch as it can never be deserved. This is how we inherit the kingdom. I could, Jesus has got these children around. Again, either parents or, or older uh, siblings have brought them to, to bless him. and He's saying, this is your model if you want to inherit the kingdom. Those guys out there, the religious leaders, are not the model. At this point, the disciples are not the model. The Pharisees are not the model. The Sadducees are not the model. The model is this child who simply trusts and accepts the bounty and care that a parent would have for that child. That's the kind, that is the quality of this gift of faith that God gives us that we are to have to inherit the kingdom. This is good news. Is this good news? There, there, there's no lines there's no you know the uh I thought of something that happened. I was thinking of my own children you know when did they they're they're older now, so I mean to just be honest here, right but as they get older, they don't necessarily display this kind of simple faith and trust in their parents. Anybody ever experienced that as they go through the teen years, that kind of goes away a little bit right but uh um, I have a memory, it's now kind of a a cool memory, but it was a terrifying experience from years ago. My son, uh, Mark, my younger son, he's uh, i now almost looking at him eye to eye, he's still a little shorter than me, but we're just about looking eye to eye now, but this is back when he's about this tall, and I'm teaching him how to ski, and we are skiing on a stormy, snowy day. It's like nobody out there, we're at Donner Ski Ranch, and we're... It's snowing, but it's not like a blizzard or anything. It's just snowing, and it's snowing enough. It was kind of perfect. Nobody was out there, and we're just, and I'm teaching them how to ski. And as is kind of our custom, we were like the last ones on the mountain Stay, You know, it doesn't matter how cold it is or whatever. We're, we're going to skit every minute out of this experience. And so the last few minutes of our experience of skiing that day, it is like complete and total whiteout and just starts jumping and blowing. And he's learning how to ski, and he's about this tall. And it is snowing so much that all of the groomed runs are gone. There is just massive fresh powder everywhere. We get to the top of the chairlift. We start down a little ways. The guy who was probably in that little booth at the chairlift is is far gone. I don't see anybody anywhere. And I'm realizing my, my son can't ski in this. He, he can't, the powder is so deep, he can't go down the mountain. And it is getting dark. It is a white out, dark out, massive snow. And I, I'm like, you know, I didn't have cell phone. I'm not sure if I had a cell phone or whatever, but we, we didn't have cell phone. I, I'm like thinking, like, we may have to spend the night here. There's no ski patrol anywhere. You're supposed to see them. So I'm like, one of them will come and they'll help me get him down. They don't come. So we're out in this blizzard. And I'm thinking about how to get my son down this mountain. And so I come to the point where I realize I've got to carry him. Now, his skis and boots weigh, like, more than he does. I mean, they're heavy. And, and I'm not sure. I, I, I'm going to try. I pick him up, and I'm holding him like this, and just standing there, like, thinking, can I actually ski through this powder with him in my arms like this? It was just him, fine, but, you know, I'm, like, cheap, and so we got to have the skis and the boots, too. I'm not going to leave those on the mountain. I mean, I just that never crossed my mind. Like, take his skis and boots off and leave them in the snow. That never crossed my mind. So, so I've got him. I'm like, okay, I think I can do this. I think I can do this. So I think he's holding my poles. You know, he's here. He, you know, his weight, the, the boots and poles are like weighing. And so here we go. And, and, I, and I, I'm going to get him home. And he, he trusts me. You know, he, he, he gets in my arms. He doesn't know. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. am not letting him know that. He just gets in my arms. It's this simple faith in his dad. Now, I did get him home, but this would be a lot better illustration if I didn't have to tell you that I crashed on the way down. I did crash on the way down, um, but I got him home. The whole point I'm, I'm telling you this is that, that he was willing to get into my arms and trust me in this blizzard to ski through this powder With him, this is what Jesus is saying. You and I need to be like, if we want to inherit the kingdom of God, that we need to have the kind of faith, simple, childlike faith in our heavenly Father, in the Lord Jesus, in God the Holy Spirit, like that. But the good news is, our our God is never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. We we may actually have some crashes, but we call those bitter providences. He only allows crashes and trials to shape us, to change us, to bring us to repentance, to make us depend on him. He's good. This This is what he's trying to say to us through Mark's gospel. This is what he's trying to say to the disciples. By extension, even though they're not here, this is what he's trying to say to the Sadducees and to the Pharisees. The only way to inherit the kingdom through this unconditional adoption, through this childlike faith. Point B is the the main point of our passage today. And that isn't just just some generic faith and just any parent or any spiritual leader or just have this simple faith. No, it's simple faith in in a Savior who died on a cross and rose on the third day. That is where our simple faith has to be in Christ crucified and risen. Let's bow our heads together and ask him to give us that childlike faith. Lord, most of us here have believed in you for some time. But we often go astray with a variety of directions that are not the directions of today's passage. So I want to pray, first of all, for those of us who are pursuing, over-pursuing Bible knowledge, over-pursuing um, getting away from, from, from people of the world to a degree that's unhealthy, various things, Lord, free us from these wrong directions. And for those of us who have been believing in you for some time, Lord, I pray that you would restore to us by the power of your Spirit just this simple, childlike faith in Jesus as our sin substitute, as the one who propitiated the wrath of God out of his because of his love for us he did that and rose on the third day and by faith instead of us being punished we inherit the kingdom and lord i pray that we would have more and more glimpses as a community of the kingdom of god now now as we live in this world and wait for the kingdom of god to be fully and completely brought in and jesus to reign first from jerusalem for a thousand years and then forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, we long for that. Give us glimpses of it now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.